We're thankful that you're able to be a part of the assembly of the Lord's people this morning, and it's good to have visitors among us. A warm welcome to you, and we hope that you'll be blessed for being here. I know we say that over and over, but we, re- we really do mean it, and it's always good when those who've been away from us are able to be well enough to be back, and so I wanted to acknowledge uh, it's good to have Rose back with us. I know she was here a couple of weeks ago, and I don't think I was preaching that Sunday, and I didn't get a chance to acknowledge it, but we know you've had a long recovery, and we've missed you, and thankful you can be here, and it just happens to be her birthday, and she insisted that I mention that, so I just, no, but uh, do have copious amounts of cake today. I will as well, Uh, even if I'm not invited to the party, I'm going to have cake in your honor, and we all should, we all should. You know, one of the One of the beauties and one of the glories of the biblical worldview is that in the biblical perspective, God is not just our creator. He's not just the origin of all things. He's not some impersonal force or being. He is a personal being and that he has made it possible for us to be in relationship with him. And this is something unique about the Christian perspective in its emphasis in our relationship with God, is that he makes it possible for us to regard him as our father, right? In the familiar, sometimes called Lord's Prayer or the model prayer when Jesus was teaching us in the Sermon on the Mountain how to pray, when he said in Matthew 6, 9, pray our father in heaven, that was To a certain extent, that was somewhat revolutionary to appeal to God in that way. So we shouldn't take that for granted. We do call upon him. Peter said in 1 Peter 1, 17, if you call on him as father, not just as God, but as God, our father, what he has done in Christ to redeem us and then giving us his spirit. This has made it possible, Paul said in Galatians 4, 6, to be his sons and daughters, to be his children. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, a term of affection, Father, the fatherhood of God. Now, I said that because If God wants us to view him that way, to realize that we can enter into a relationship with him, we can become his children and call him father, then that should tell us something about fatherhood, that this is something obviously good, something to be valued, something that is exalted, something that is appealing, the idea of father. God wants us to think of him that way. That must be something tremendously significant and tremendously important. And so that's why I'm going to be talking about fathers because of the importance of the role of father, because of the place that fathers play in the plan of God, because of how tremendously significant the impact of faithful fathers in the plan of God and in in our lives. This is something that is critical that we give our attention to, and I want to start to do that this morning. Now, 
I was looking for images, you know, sometimes I spend a lot of time looking for images either to edit myself and to create and make into my own PowerPoints or templates that are already made that can be adapted. And so I was looking at all these different ones for fathers and I was trying to think of a good one to use. So there are lots of uh, nice images that people have taken and put together in different formats to use, and they're all, uh, I think, good. Now, here's the, here's the retro 50s look, um, kind of uh, humorous, I think. Uh, this one wasn't going to work. I don't know why that came up when I was searching for father's uh, templates, the, the chainsaw dad. I'm not familiar with that, uh, that imagery. Uh, but I ultimately wanted to settle on the one that I'm going to use So I I gave a lot of thought to this, and I worked on this. I had someone help me with it who's good with Photoshop. I wanted to use this image, and it it looks really, really good on the computer. It doesn't come out as well because of the ambient light in here on the screen. But I wanted to use this image of the super dad. I don't know if you can see that there. I might have to increase the contrast a little bit. Uh, Or we could kill all the lights, then it would really pop, but... uh, but it would facilitate your sleeping uh, when I continue with the lesson. So the, the uh, image of the super dad, the dad as a, as a superhero, I like that image because dads really are powerful in their impact and in their influence. So that's going to be the template I'm using for this series we're beginning now called Faithful Fathers. Faithful Fathers. That's what you can write down. If you're taking notes, you know what to do. Put that at the top of the page and, and, and see it in your mind if you're not writing down on paper. I want you to see it, visualize it like you see it there on, on the screen. And this is the first lesson. What we're doing in this first one is we're going we're to be talking about the need for faithful fathers. So that can be your subtitle for this first lesson in the series. The need, the need for faithful fathers. Now, before I proceed, I really want to emphasize this as best I can, as carefully as I can. I really urge you to please hear me carefully. We understand that not everyone is a father, and not everyone, of course, can be a father. I hope, though, that all of us can see the importance of this to the well-being of God's people and the well-being of our communities, that it's valuable for all of us to think on these things. Also, I want us to understand that we're not trying to minimize in any way the importance of mothers. We've preached on mothers and the influence of a godly mother before. Just just, uh, last week, we were praising our moms and giving thanks for godly moms and trying to be sure to acknowledge them, and we will continue to emphasize that and preach on that. So we're not not minimizing the importance of that at all. But I do want to say this, that if you or, or children do not have a faithful or engaged father, because I'm going to be talking about the importance of that and how critical it is for the well-being, for the for the emotional and spiritual well-being of kids to have an, uh, a faithful, involved, engaged, godly father. So if you, didn't, if you don't have that, or if you didn't have that, if your children don't have that right now, 
understand you are just as valued by God. You are just as valued by God as anyone else. Understand that you are still needed, that God still cares about you and that we care about you, about helping you to be all that God would have you to be from this time forward in your life. And if you feel as a father, because we're going to be hitting hard on some of this, some of this stuff is uncomfortable. There's some hard truths we have to speak here in, in this lesson and in the lessons ahead. And if you feel perhaps the weight of guilt that you failed as a father, understand you are still valued, that you can still be used by God and still be a blessing. And, and the point is, I like this image that of one artist, the way he portrayed the father welcoming home the, the prodigal son and the story that Jesus told that really captures the heart of what all the Bible story is about, what the gospel is about. I love the way it shows the love and acceptance he received after he messed up his life, after he sinned against his, his father and sinned against God and how he was welcomed home. And so I want that backdrop to emphasize this, that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done or failed to do, we know we all need God's grace. We all need the mercy of God. We can all be redeemed by Christ. We can all bring glory to God. We can all be used by God. We can all be blessed by God. That is the gospel. That is the gospel. Robert was talking about this and the significance of it in, in one point in, as he was leading us in prayer a few moments ago. What Christ has done for us on the cross and the empty tomb, resurrection, See, the gospel is about how we can have new life. We can have a new beginning. We can start again in Christ. We get another chance. This is the beauty of the love of God in Christ. So no matter where you are, no matter where you've been, what matters is where you go from here and that you can be accepted because of what God has done in Christ. You can be welcomed you can find power and hope and healing before God as your Father. And that is a beautiful message. And I could have ended with that, but I really wanted to get that clear right here from the very start because I, I realize these are sensitive matters when we think about those who didn't have some of the things that we're going to be talking about as uh, so important. So let's start here. Again, I know that's a little bit hard, hard to see the imagery here, but the text is clear, so that's good. Let's talk about God's design for fathers and family, first of all, just to, to, to set the, the stage because we're going to contrast this with, this with what's going on in our culture. But what is the biblical perspective on fathers and family? I'm going to mention three things here. There are different ways that you could summarize this, and this is just one way to sort of encapsulate what, what we have. First of all, the purpose of family, and, and we're going to be noting, of course, the place that fathers have in this, the purpose of marriage and family, procreation. When we go back to the beginning, when God made man, when God made the woman for the man, when he made marriage, we go back to the foundation here in Genesis. God made man. You remember in Genesis 2.18, the Lord said, it's not good that the man should be alone. I will make a helper 
fit for him. So God made a, another being that was complementary to the man to make the man complete in some way that he would not be without a wife. Now, that's not to say, as I mentioned a moment ago, that if, if you're not married, that you're not as valued by God, that, uh, that your life can't be as fulfilling and that you can't have the same peace and joy the, that we can all have in Christ. No, but, but this is God's ideal and this is the way God, God made us. So that's another discussion. But then you remember he made the woman, he brought her to the man, said a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife. So first of all, there's the relationship of marriage where the two hold fast and that man is to hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. God unites them. And a part of that relationship, the natural outcome of of it is to have children. Now again, this isn't to denigrate in any way those who could not have children, those who do not have children. Uh, We know that can be a sensitive matter as well. But we know the the norm, the natural outcome in a marriage relationship then from the intimacy associated with marriage, the way God made us is for children to result. So the first command in the Bible is to be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion. So marrying and having children is a part of the place that God has given us in this world to bring more image bearers into the world who reflect the glory of God and the place that God has given us in His creation. So children are that natural outgrowth of that union and they're a blessing. Psalm 127, 3-5, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who finds his quiver full of them. Children are not a burden. They're a blessing. They're they're not some kind of liability or some imposition or inconvenience to, to be avoided, but to be embraced as a blessing and the privilege of nurturing them in the chastening and the admonition of the Lord is one's highest calling. These are things that, things that we'll talk about as we proceed. Procreation. Number two, sanctification. Sanctification. This, you'll see why I'm saying this, why I'm emphasizing this, because the intentional fatherlessness and the crisis of fatherlessness in our culture goes against this. God's design for sexual intimacy, intimacy to result in children, which makes a man a father, is to be in the context of marriage and only in the context of one man, one woman joined together in a covenant, binding covenant relationship for life. 1 Corinthians 7, 2, because of temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. So God made that physical intimacy as a means of binding together a man and a woman in something unique that is not shared outside of that context or with anyone else to nurture that bond and, as we said, to produce children And so it's a holy thing, and it's a blessed thing, and it's a sacred thing. 
It's something that should be respected and God's designed for it to be respected. Hebrews 13, 4, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. But see, intentional fatherlessness, I keep saying intentional, we'll mention that again later. We don't mean when, when a father dies and then so then we end up with children who are fatherless where there was no intention for that to be that way. But all of that goes against this. So procreation, sanctification, illustration, or this point could also be glorification. Uh, I, I couldn't decide which term was better, but you, you could use either here. In other words, marriage is supposed to illustrate something. It's supposed to be something that glorifies something else. It gives glory to God. See, that marriage arrangement, it's about more than just the man and the woman joined together. Remember in Ephesians 5, Paul goes back to what was said in Genesis after he talked about the husband loving the wife as Christ loves the church, as he loves his own flesh, about the submission of the wife to the loving leadership of her husband. Then he goes back to what we saw in Genesis, God making the man, the woman for the man, bringing them together. And then he cites that and says, therefore, this is what this is about. A man shall leave his father and mother, hold fast to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. Now, he says, this mystery is profound. But I'm saying it refers to Christ and the church. So in the biblical perspective, marriage is about something much bigger than the husband and wife. It's about reflecting the glory of God and the love of God that He's manifested in Christ and the relationship of Christ to the church, the sacrifice of Christ to make us the people of God. You see, we have to realize there's much more at stake. There's something much bigger involved in marriage then that relationship itself and children are a part of that because a few verses later then Paul goes on to say fathers we'll come back to this in the series and talk about this do not provoke your children to anger but bring them up in the discipline and the the instruction of the Lord you see fatherhood and marriage and family it's to honor the Lord and raising children is about raising people who know the Lord who honor the Lord, who bring glory to the Lord. You see how beautiful this is in the biblical perspective. But intentional fatherlessness goes against that. And I want you to think about the opposition to this beautiful ideal that God has set before us in His Word. And what I'm calling here the war on fathers in our culture. It's in Western culture. It's in America. This intentional opposition to what we find. And there's several different ways we can look at all of this. But think about in, in pop culture, the negative view of fatherhood that we, we often see. And you can contrast, for example, and I know when we talk about television and movies, we can debate whether those things are driving the change or merely reflecting it. But I think it's both. That popular culture and especially here it would be in movies and television those are the stories that we tell and that we are entertained with that they both reflect what's going on in the culture but they also affect what's going on now those of you who are older 
You remember back, think of how much has changed in a relatively short time. Used to be years ago, this was before my time, but there was a popular television show. Father Knows Best, right? I don't know if anyone remembers that. But the dad was portrayed in Hollywood as wise and as strong and as needed in our, in our homes. And think of how you see that, for example, in one of my all-time favorite movies, really my all-time favorite movie, It's a Wonderful Life. There's a part where George Bailey, where he's young and he's not sure what to do, and he sees a sign that says, Ask Dad, he knows. And ironically, this sign, it's about asking your dad for a certain kind of tobacco. You know, it was back when everyone thought it was so healthy to smoke, right? Dad will tell you what kind of, what to smoke. <laughs> but, you know, just the idea that you're using Dad as an authority figure as a source of wisdom to know what to do and I love the scene in the film where he's talking intimately and it's just George and his dad and he compliments his dad and tells him how much he means to him it's a it's a tender scene and then I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is where he tells off Mr. Potter and he stands up for his father this would be a first here I actually have a moving I have a gif here that's showing that scene um, it, so you see, look, remember programs like the Waltons, fathers, again, were strong and they were leaders in their families or Little House on the Prairie. You know, I know we could give other examples. Now, think of all the examples we could give about how much that has changed over the last generation or so. You've got guys like, like Al Bundy who are crass and coarse and vulgar and stupid and insulting and useless uh, to their families, um, longest-running show on television, The Simpsons. You know, Homer's uh, a joke. Uh, is this Peter from Family Guy? Very vulgar show, from is my understanding. Uh, you know, in 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 television ads, you see reflected this whole the dumb dad sort of trope. You see it all the time. Dads are presented as sort of clueless and they're doofuses who don't know what's going on in sitcoms. They're, they're not really relevant to what's going on. Many times kids are telling the, the, the parents, uh, many times the moral of the, of the program is relayed by the kids as they lecture their parents and the parents come around to their kids' way of thinking. I mean, it's all reverse, but you know, it's so insulting to me to see the way dads are always the brunt of the joke and always presented as stupid. I know a lot of times it's, it's kind of funny. These two guys are the dumb dads. They're popular on TikTok. They're making a lot of money capitalizing on that whole, you know, dad as a doofus uh, sort of um, mentality. But, you know, that's the way we see in pop culture. But see, that doesn't, that didn't come out of a vacuum. It came because of larger social trends that were a part of the willful rejection of the biblical view and the rise of the secular worldview. See, these trends are justified and they become entrenched often it's first in academia and in education and then they filter down i'm going to give you one example of what i'm talking about here i could talk all day about this uh, but uh, here's an example this is from a few years back but in the american psychologist this is the journal of the american psychological association now this is a shocking shocking quote that represents a conclusion of their so-called research. In an article called Deconstructing the Essential Father, listen to this. 
We do not believe the data support the conclusion that fathers are essential to child well-being and that heterosexual... See, this was about justifying homosexual marriage. It's really what it was about. So they tried to selectively look at data to say, you know, you don't have to have traditional marriage for children to do well. Uh, so that heterosexual marriage, the, there's no data. They said the data don't support the idea that heterosexual marriage is a social context in which responsible fathering is most likely to occur. It, it's hard to imagine a more obviously false conclusion that anyone could ever reach. From, you know that from personal experience. You know that from anecdotal observation. We know that from the mountain of social science data that has accumulated. Um, but you see the war, and, and I can see my time is getting away from us, so I'm not going to be able to, to get through all of this material. So I'm going to have to be a little bit selective here. But you see the war on fathers from the, the secularism that is so entrenched in our time. How fatherhood is undermined in this abandonment of the biblical worldview to embrace the, the secular perspective, you see how father, the, the war on fathers is seen in all of these different areas. Think about in the sexual revolution that uh, really accelerated dramatically in the 1960s, but its roots go well back before that. But the idea that sex didn't need to be confined to marriage and that uh, men didn't have to make a covenant commitment to a woman before uh, she would yield herself in sexual intimacy to him. Well, that's, that's essentially undermining then the commitment a man has to make in that relationship to the children that are produced from that activity. The sexual revolution uh, and the idea that sex can just be recreational and, and that is glorified in our culture, perhaps more than anything else that we see here, just... Uh, recreational, casual sex, sex outside of marriage, that has been absolutely devastating to the home and the family and the place that God gives to fathers. The radical feminism that has arisen in the secular view views men as oppressive, that, the, that Western Christian culture is patriarchal and the patriarchy is oppressive and that women should... Um, not feel that they need a man. Remember Gloria Steinem, the, the feminist, head of the feminist movement, she's often regarded that way, said, you know, a woman needs a man like a fish needs a bicycle. That was a famous statement. You used to see that on bumper stickers and t-shirts. You know, that was popular for a while. Women don't need men. That we can be free to engage in sex and don't have to feel committed, that we have to be in a committed relationship with men. And we, we don't need to feel that we need to take care of men or take care of the children that result as a union with men. All of that. Radical feminism. Even there are reproductive technologies now that didn't exist until relatively recently that make it possible to have children without any contact with a man. Not, not just apart from a lifelong covenant commitment to a man in marriage, but without even a relationship at all with a man. I think you know what I'm talking about. The 
legalization, the normalization of homosexual behavior and homosexual marriage. This doesn't mean God doesn't love people who struggle with same-sex attraction. It doesn't mean God, we're as opposed to adultery and other types of sexual immorality as homosexuality, and it doesn't mean God doesn't love all people. So we always, it seems we have to take great pains to acknowledge that because it's thought of as hateful not to approve of all of people's choices, especially their, their, their sexual choices and their sexual identities. But homosexual marriage, essentially, two women can get married, and, and that's supposed to be as equally valid as a man and a woman joined in marriage. Or when, with, with homosexual men, when two men join together in, in what people are calling a marriage, that treats women as unnecessary to the well-being of children. That's equally egregious. Allowing homosexual couples to adopt children, to, to allow two women to adopt children. Essentially saying, you know, kids don't really need a dad. They can do just as well without the father as though God's design as biology itself shows you you can't have children without a man involved with a woman. Oh, no, none of that matters. None of, you know, supposedly in our wisdom, we know that this is just as valid uh, as, as any other kind of, quote, marriage, any other kind of family, that all treats fathers as, as utterly disposable and unnecessary for child well-being. The trans agenda, completely redefining masculinity, femininity, gender itself. Uh, the whole redefinition of a family is just any people who come together in any relationship that they want to call a family. The war on the family is a war on fathers. We need to realize the connection between these things and the way that now there's an effort made to indoctrinate our children in many public schools, this is not to indict all schools. It's not to indict all teachers and all administrators. We appreciate good people involved in public education, especially our Christian educators. We know that's becoming, though, increasingly a controversial and hostile environment to people of faith. And we've seen in recent election cycles how uh, when parents have discovered how the, the classroom is being used to indoctrinate even very young children and values that are antithetical to the values that you and I hold dear, as though we're going to counter what mom and dad might teach children at home, and we're going to indoctrinate them in this perspective. The, the whole effort to instruct children in explicit sexual education from the time they're five and six years old. Well, as parents have risen up against that, and more and more parents have been outraged at how perverted and explicit and inappropriate the sexual uh, instruction is, and even to very young children, as parents have come out against that and have been showing up more and more at school board meetings and as now even laws are being passed to limit what can be done, we're seeing the reaction to that and the contempt for parental authority viewing parents as the problem and that educators are the experts and that we all need to hand our children over to them to indoctrinate them into what is clearly contrary 
to what God wants our children to understand about themselves and about human sexuality and about the world. This is all going on right now. The, t- the books that are used to indoctrinate children, to teach children, to embrace these perversions. Again, we can be compassionate toward people in addressing these things, but we need to address them with clarity and conviction because there is so much at stake as we're going to see. I'm going to stop here. I had some other data and some statistics and then some conclusions. I was going to set before you where we're going with all of this. But let me just say that what we would have looked at that I'll save is how when we reject God's way and when, when we are in a culture that is hostile to God's design for family and fatherhood, we see how devastating the consequences are. We see how children suffer as a result of that. And you see, what that does is it confirms the, the beauty and the necessity of God's way. It shows us the Bible has been right all along, and it shows us the urgent need to model that, to uphold it to the world and to model it in our own homes and in our own families to each other and to the world. That's where we'll go with it, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop it here by saying, as we said a moment ago, because of what God has done in Christ, you can not only be in relationship with God, but you can be a child of God and call God your Father. That God shows His love toward us in that He will adopt us as His own. God, I love to say it this way, God is father to the fatherless. And God wants to make you his own child and bring you near to himself. And that that happens when you respond to the gospel, Galatians 3, 26 and 27. We're all children of God. You see, that's where God becomes our father when you're born again into his family. We're all children of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Now, if you need to know more about how to do that, what's involved with that, we want to help you to be sure of your relationship with God, to know God wants you to be his son, to be his daughter, and that's possible for you and me today because of Jesus. That's the gospel. And if you need to respond to it, let us know while we stand and while we sing.